Griffiths again. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Pure Football Podcast, the podcast that aims to give you the unbiased Scottish voice, giving you in-depth insight into football from the local park to the World Cup. And I'm Gavin Miller, and I'm joined by my co-host as ever, Owen Brown. Owen, how are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good, Gavin, thanks. been a, a kind of low points and high points week. Uh, my boiler's broken, uh, so I've had no water, uh, no hot water, rather, no shower. Probably smell like shit. Um, <laughs> Storm Francis has been raining all day, and, and the day job's kind of matched its uh, relentless misery quite well. Um, <laughs> on the other side of the coin, Champions League final was pretty fun at the weekend. Had my first trip to a pub since the start of lockdown, been about six months, nice. um, which was really nice. Yeah, um, four pound seventy for a beer was a shock to the system after you know <laughs> one pound cans at home throughout lockdown. But yeah, fine. Um, yeah, so so overall, hi, highs and lows. What, what about you? How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. It's been a pretty hectic week. It was my little boy's birthday, so that was good. The weather was remained nice during uh, his uh, birthday weekend, so that was good. But uh, I'm intrigued. What pub did you go to? Uh, the Botany. It's near me, Mary Hill Road. Ah, nice. Sounds good. Sounds good, mate. 470 does not, but I'm sure we'll get over that. Um, hopefully, this week's episode can pick you up a bit. We said that we would cover the... The Champions League final, as you mentioned, it was a bit of a spectacle. There's the breaking news on Lionel Messi, which we'll give our quick thoughts on. And then we said our match in focus this week would be Dundee United versus Celtic, which was actually quite a an exciting game to watch. And then we'll finish up with a reaction to the Scotland squad. But before we get into that, a quick rundown on the results over the weekend. So Aberdeen uh, were relieved a bit of pressure with a 2-1 Win against Livingston. Hibs won 1-0 with a late Stevie Mallon penalty uh, against St Johnston. Hamilton won the Lanarkshire Derby, which now means they're unbeaten in the last four derbies between themselves and Motherwell, with two wins and two draws. Quite an impressive result from them away from home. Rangers mm. broke down Kilmarnock's resilience with a 2-0 win, and Kamar Roof opened up his account. And St Mirren and Ross County was uh, a shared points in Paisley, and finally, moving on to our match, in, or just before we move on to our match and focus, even on any quick thoughts on the on any of the results that stood out to you. Um, well, I guess Aberdeen's maybe the most significant one, given you know their kind of uh, uh, slow start to the season in terms of performances and uh, matches that they've missed. So that has to kind of stand out unto me, and also I guess Motherwell, um, pretty near the table after losing at home to Hamilton. What were you? Any that were particularly significant for you? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with both those picks, to be fair. I think the Hamilton result is, is certainly an interesting one. Puts a bit of pressure early on in Motherwell. And Ab- mm. Aberdeen, you know, able to get things starting to to go for them, I guess. But before we move on to the our match in focus, there was a huge game, a European spectacle, the Champions League final between Bayern Munich and Paris Saint-Germain. Bayern Munich were the victors, for which is now the sixth time uh, after the result in Lisbon, which was 1-0. Um, Owen, oh, isn't it interesting that former PSG product Kingsley Coleman uh, was the man to sink them after being let go uh, or deemed not necessary for first team minutes by PSG? What do you think of the game itself and 
just how impressive has Hansi Flick been, in your opinion? Yeah, I thought the game was excellent. This was a really good game. Um, the first half in particular was uh, thrilling. Uh, these are the sort of Champions League games between kind of two sets of such good players playing in a really intense way that kind of make me feel really nervy, kind of edge of my seat, um, but in a kind of exciting, enjoyable way. But I just didn't really want anybody to mess it up, kind of playing out from the back or receiving it in midfield. Um, I think your point about Kingsley Coleman being the kind of you know sort of dif- difference maker in terms of the goal and how PSG must feel about that is a really interesting one. Um, you know, we're all pretty much aware of the the number of players um, that they've maybe let go um, due to them kind of. Uh, not maybe being classed as good enough for the first team or, or maybe the players, you know, smartly, I guess, not um, signing a contract to kind of lock them in to, too long there past uh, their kind of time at the, the youth academy. And then, you know, um, loads of them scattered out over Europe now, you know, Odson Edward near near us, but in the Bundesliga, people like Christopher Nkunku, Dan Axel Zagadou, and then, of course, uh, Coman popping up, uh, which must be a tough thing for you know, PSG to take, you'd think that would make the the board, the people in charge, kind of sit back and reflect. In terms of Hansi Flick, well, you know, what a turnaround. It's absolutely incredible. In terms of the European um, kind of uh, win, well, they've made history by being the first team to win every game en route to winning the competition with 11 wins. Um, they've had an incredible run uh, overall in terms of games since Flick has taken over. And um, I think that was evident in the final as well, you know, the sort of things that he's managed to get them doing, Um, you know, the kind of uh, really clearly defined roles and positions that the team have and the kind of really intense uh, work ethic and then just threats from multiple different areas of the pitch. So, yeah, he deserves a lot of credit for what he's managed to come in and do and kind of, I mean, it's not like they were having a disaster, really. Yeah, they were a little bit adrift, but the underlying numbers suggested that they weren't doing terribly um, and they're a massively dominant team in Germany but what he's done is is incredible very remarkable and very impressive um, did you have kind of any general kind of thoughts about the game itself and uh, you thought it was kind of- just like what you mentioned it felt like a really cagey affair but that way where it's it's almost like watching like a, a boxing match where you get that sort of tense feeling um, you know just sitting watching it so yeah I definitely echo that I felt it was I really like the the way that uh, Hansi Flick's got by and playing. I think there's there's such a level of intensity in what they're trying to do that I think it, it really comes across. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just felt that I'll will put this back to you then. Uh, so obviously it ended in, in Bayern winning for the mm-hmm. sixth time. Do you think that this maybe puts a little bit of or how would you feel if you're the the you know, the PSG owners, you've done everything, you've bought Neymar, you've bought Mbappe, you've done all the things to, to give your team the best opportunity of success. Do you feel like you just, you're not going to be able to do it? Because surely the, you know, the issues at some of the other super clubs in Europe aren't going to be there for much longer. So do you think that PSG have maybe missed their time to actually win the Champions League? No, I don't think so at all. Um, I think you have to accept that if you get to a final, then you might lose, right? You know, and it doesn't mean that you kind of instantly think that it's not doable again. I think PSG are in a quite good position generally um, because um, they can expect to continue to be dominant uh, domestically and not be challenged too much there and, you know, continue to kind of rack up revenue from doing that um, and, you know, maybe build their squad a little bit better. So as much as they've got Neymar and, and so on, you know, you might say that in some depth areas and, and kind of, you know, some 
other positions like fullback and stuff, maybe because of spending the money um, on those stars, they're going to have to take a little bit more time to ele- elevate the, the individual level of quality in those roles. Um, the, the other thing I would point to as well is that they were very close to doing it in this uh, game. So um, I, I think I, I would slightly take issue with your use of the word cagey. I, I know you're not necessarily meaning that in the way that the BT commentators did, where they're meaning that was you know a boring game in some way. Yeah, I, I think that this was pretty even overall. In, in fact, you know if you look at the expected goals, yeah. um, PSG had one point seven seven um, versus uh, Bayern Munich zero point nine zero. There were good chances for PSG. Neymar, Mbappe, Di Maria, uh, Marquinhos, they all got good chances. Neuer was pretty incredible. I think PSG did really well. Um, Yeah, Bayern dominated the ball uh, in the first half. But PSG managed to generally hold their shape pretty well, keep Lewandowski relatively contained, keep Muller quite quiet. Um, They made Neuer kind of um, play the ball out towards Davies most of the time, tried to trap him in deeper areas than they might be. And, you know, you you might say that in many ways they created the better chances overall. I think that Bayern were still really good, very threatening at times. And, and, you know, there were... They could have gone up a gear probably in terms of their chance creation. But if I was PSG, I would... I'd be encouraged um, rather than, than distraught at this. Um, they got to the final. They, they did really well. Um, and they still have lots of players that are kind of at you know, peak age and so on. Mbappe's incredibly young um, and is only going to get better from here on out. Um, they, they've got, you know, Verratti to come back um, for next season. Um, Kimpembe played a really good game. So maybe they're kind of, um, you know, relatively happy that he's going to be the centre-back starter. So, no, I, I would be pretty positive about the future if I was PSG, probably. Okay, I guess, uh, I think that's some pretty fair takes for you for the, from the game itself, and I guess um, it'll be interesting to see what, what they do next, and I guess moving on to that, um, the breaking news tonight that Lionel Messi is requested to leave Barcelona. Um, PSG are probably one of the few teams that could actually make that sort of deal happen. Um, but Owen, give me your instant thoughts um, just around about the news itself. A bit depressed, I think. Um, I just don't really feel it would be right to see him play for another team. Um, that you know, maybe is a, a strange thing to say. I'm not a Barcelona fan. I mean, I'm not like a fan of another team opposed to them or like that, but I've no, get, no kind of emotional attachment to them as a club. But it just seems like you know all, all our lives all our time watching football he's been there a kind of ever present I just kind of thought that he would be there till the end of his career um, and it just seems that it would be a little bit sad if things ended like this with you know maybe the 8-2 defeat to Bayern Munich being the last game that he ever played for them and it may be ending up in a kind of you know recriminations potentially a legal case and so on if he's going to try and force through uh, this you know free contract clause exit so yeah a little bit sad that that's happening I guess and also I guess Part of the sadness is about the potential destinations. Um, so if we're being realistic, then you can probably say, well, yeah, maybe PSG might be an option. Um, then maybe somewhere like Manchester City, potentially somewhere like Juventus to do some sort of ridiculous kind of dovetailing with Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh my God. Maybe, <laughs> maybe somewhere, I don't know, Inter Milan have been rumoured as well. But basically, he's on about £100 million a year uh, as salary. Um, then there's maybe a signing bonus on top. He probably wants a relatively lengthy contract. Um, it's going to be difficult to say no to that because if you are in the game trying to get him 
and there's somebody else, then you're you're playing such a high stakes kind of you know game. If you're going to commit, then you probably really really want to make it happen. So I just think the options in terms of destination are limited and quite boring to me. Um, you know, in terms of just seeing him at one of these other kind of uh, big moneyed clubs. Um, yeah, I, I'm not exactly excited by that. I, I think I would like it if there was some way for things to be repaired at Barcelona. We don't know how true you know, all of this is, but we have seen, like for instance, Carlos Priolio tweet out, you know, in kind of support of Messi, and then Luis Suarez kind of, you know, send a kind of emoji in support as well. So it seems like there's maybe something happening, um, but can it be repaired? Um, will it lead to people uh, in the board being ousted? Will it even lead to Koeman being sacked before a game's even been played? Um, I don't know. Um, but I guess on that note, if you could pick a destination for him, would there be one you would like him to see at? you get any ideas in terms of a club that you would like him to go to? I think I'm much the same as you. I don't, I'm not particularly enamoured by the thought of him going to PSG or going to... Uh, Man City, it just doesn't really fill me with any sort of excitement uh, I'd love to see him maybe do something cool uh, I guess maybe, you know, go back to Argentina or you know, maybe even yeah. e- something like that, you know I think it was a New L Old Boys um, Yeah. so something like that would just be, you know, I think considering how sour this feels that would at least have an element of you know, uh, positivity about it, but It'll all come down to to money, is my sort of feeling on this one, and there's no way that they'll be able to do anything without Messi sacrificing almost everything to go there. Uh, okay, you're saying that there's no chance of him popping up at Atalanta or playing under Bielsa at Leeds. These are just unrealistic dreams. <laughs> yeah, I think they're just a little bit uh, unrealistic okay. for me. Um, mm. I, I yeah, I can't think of of many places where. Where he ends up, uh, really, I think maybe, maybe the MLS is maybe another one, depending on on what they do. But they've got you know salary caps and stuff. But yeah, it's just it's just a, a bit of a sad situation all round. And like you said, there's probably yeah. a lot of moving parts in this that we won't ever really know everything that's going on. So one that will just is there is there space for him in a team at Bayern Munich, or do they not need him? Why would you? Why would you? I, uh, like, yeah, they they they've just smashed a mate too. So why would they even want him? Um, and they, they, you know, they've obviously got uh, some uh, Scottish kids waiting to take spaces. There's there's no room for Messi. So that's true. You don't want him blocking Barry Hepburn's pathway. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how this develops. I've got a feeling that it'll probably end up in everyone but Messi leaving Barcelona um, mm. but we'll wait and see we'll wait and see um, okay. so yeah we said that we would focus in on um, I guess Barcelona's was it 1982 opponent uh, Dundee United um, from uh, against Celtic at the weekend and first of all before we get into this game so it finished 1-0 for Celtic but just a couple of things so it was there was a few sort of quick jibes on Twitter with being able to bring Albon Ajeti off the bench uh, so late on having a five million striker uh, available to to do that sort of thing was was the difference between what's your take on that first of all just do you think that's just a little bit of a an obvious point or do you think it, there's anything in that? 
um, that 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 was the big difference. Yeah. The, the depth of quality that Celtic have in terms of squad. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously that's a factor for Celtic in every game. That compared to you know eleven out, sorry, ten out of the other eleven teams in the division, they do have more depth. They can do that. They can bring on um, you know, people they spent loads of money on. Um, I think that um, yeah, we'll get into the detail of this, but overall, um, it. it it did sort of make the difference for Celtic to have somebody else that was, you know, in the box like that at the end. Um, they did have quite a lot of chances, but it wasn't exactly a great performance. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, you could maybe say that. You know, I, I don't think it's an unfair thing to say that you know Celtic can just throw more things at a situation than many other clubs in Scotland can. Yeah. You know? I think that's a pretty fair take. Okay, what about Dundee United then? So early in the season, they appointed Mickey Mellon after Robbie Nielsen's sort of uh, abrupt departure. What's been your sort of mm. opening thoughts on him and any impressions you want to give? Yeah, um, well, impressions, <laughs> given <laughs> that Mickey Mellon sounds like <laughs> some sort of kids cartoon mafia character. <laughs> in fact, I think I remember uh, the surname Mellon. There's a uh, Andrew Mellon, who's a fictional well, a character in Boardwalk Empire, the HBO show about the Prohibition era. I think he was a real kind of banker, Secretary of the Treasury in America. But anyway, I'm going off the point back to <laughs> Mickey Mellon and Dun United. Um, well, one other thing to mention, uh, I guess a funny thing, the Wall Street Journal uh, ranked Dundee at number five on its worldwide hot destinations list for 2018. Can you believe that? Wow. <laughs> anyway, I only really mention that because it ties in uh, because Dundee United are fifth place in the Premiership table. So, you know, fifth for them in the table and fifth for Dundee worldwide. Pretty good going. Um, <laughs> two wins, a draw and two losses so far in the league. Um there are some teams that are still below them with games in hand, of course, due to our kind of um, strange start to this season. In terms of uh, results and <coughs> excuse me, points tally, I think that's pretty fine, um, pretty pretty much okay given the schedule they've had. Um, I think in terms of Mellon himself, um, I think they've been adaptable from game to day, game tactically, um, which has kind of impressed me. So there's been some good ideas, different shapes, different types of movement and possession. And as we saw versus Celtic, some good things out of possession too. Um, and that's all been without Lauren Shanklin, which again, you know, I think is a, a kind of key thing to keep in mind. Um, I would say, and, and maybe this is somewhat down to the lack of Shanklin so far, there's maybe not been enough chance creation um, in my view. So they've scored four goals in those um, five games so far. And that's about even with where their expected goals are. Um, the positive to that is I think it's quite well spread out in terms of how they get the chances, in terms of the type of play, you know, whether it's build-up chances or counter-attack and so on. And it's quite early to assess things like that. So it might be that just that's partly scheduled, partly getting used to the manager and so on. They might start creating you know, some more chances. Probably you know, he would be quite keen to start the season giving up less things than, than potentially doing things. So you know, that's kind of bounds. The other positive I was thinking about was the kind of um, potential deficiencies that we'd maybe been concerned about with Dundee United. So that was things like the pace of the centre-backs, maybe a bit of a weak spine. Those all seem to have been handled reasonably well from what I've seen. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, quite positive. And I, I guess just in terms of a few stylistic things. So after four matches, so not including the Celtic game, um, United had attempted um, 1,073 passes. Um, Celtic, funnily enough, had attempted more than that after just two games. Um, but in terms of teams that have played four games, you know, similarly to Dundee United, um, this was more than Kilmarnock and Hibs, just short of Motherwell. Um 
and they were fourth in terms of pass completion in the league. So you can see there that you know that tells you a little bit stylistically that um, you know they they you know pass it about a fair bit um, and keep the ball uh, to a fair extent. Their average pass length was the fourth shortest in the league too, and they allow the fourth lowest pass completion against them. So that's just to give a, a kind of very brief sort of style overview, and obviously we'd need to revisit after a bunch of more. Um, games when they played a, a kind of wider spread of the type of teams they'd be facing in the league, but yeah, um, quite quite impressed. I, I think they've been um, reasonable as a start and um, probably merit being up about where they are fifth. What about you? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it's quite interesting to see what they're doing with some of the younger players as well, um, which we'll get onto in a minute. But I think you're right in terms of we've seen a, a, a level of tactical fluidity. We've seen a. a you know different approaches for for different games. I think there's there's lots of positives there, uh, and as you mentioned, that's all without Lawrence Shankland. But let's move mm. on to Celtic. There was a few changes um, that that caught the eye, uh, and Cham and Beaton came into this game. What was mm. your your sort of immediate reaction? Is that a squad rotation, or is there anything more to that? Well, it's hard to tell, right? Um, Beaton had come in for Ayer in the midweek European game against Reykjavik. So I, I don't think that was necessarily unexpected, but still a little bit strange given you'd have thought that Julian and Ayer were the kind of you know dead set uh, centre back pairing. Um, I think Ayer's a kind of interesting one. I've kind of felt on social media lately that there's been some grumbles from Celtic fans about him. Um, I mean, both of the centre backs have come in, you know, for a bit of criticism, particularly Julian after the Kilmarnock game. I think the grumbles about Ayer are a bit unfounded, and I think that when they have him out of the team, they miss him for his ball progression, you know, carrying it and and so on. Um, I think that Beaton, I, I watched the Reykjavik game um, after the fact, and I thought Beaton did fine in terms of ball progression. He's obviously quite comfortable on the ball and carrying it forward, given that he's, you know, principally been a defensive or central midfielder throughout his career. Um, but I would kind of maybe have a little bit of a worry about him as a, an actual defender, particularly if they put under any kind of physical pressure or kind of tasked with making any kind of blocks in the, the box. Um, so hard, hard to tell what the purpose of that one is. I guess we'll see they play Ferenc Varos um, this week um, in Champions League qualifier. Be interesting to see the selection in that. Um, Nietzsche obviously gives more passing ability centrally, maybe a bit better ball rotation. I think there had been calls for people for him to come in, but I think maybe the the hope would be that that might be for Brown and you know give a, a different kind of balance to the team and so on. But he was more playing the kind of uh, central attacking role instead of Christie to move Christie out to the right. And the thing I was thinking about that is that yeah, that that has the knock on effect of removing Forrest to the team, but maybe Christy being on the right, he likes to play a little bit more infield and maybe that gives more space for Fringpong to get forward on the outside. So maybe that's part of the thinking of that, that you know, you get Christy and uh in and keep his, you know, shooting and energy and so on, but you allow space for Fringpong to come up. I don't know. Um anyway, um more kind of um to kind of wait and see, I guess, around that might be rotation to keep people match fit. You know, Celtic have obviously had a bit of a um, you know, a, a kind of strange start to the season in terms of games being missed and so on. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I think we'll need to wait and see. Um, although if they're going to persist with maybe beating at centre back, you need to think: Is Ayer going to be looked at to be sold? What are they going to be doing in terms of getting another centre back? Um, is Rod Stewart's uh, social media appeal to Shane Duffy actually going to 
pay off. <laughs> um, anyway, one to watch, I guess. What about you? Any kind of particular concerns or thoughts about that? I was just a little bit surprised with, uh, I guess, with Forrest coming out more more than anything. Mm-hmm. I think he's been a very consistent player for Celtic for a number of years, and and mm-hmm. like you with Incham coming in, I'm not I'm not again too enamoured with him playing as in the sort of ten role. Um, I think people are pretty frustrated with Forrest generally at the moment. I mean, Forrest is a He's been an output monster, I guess you would say, over the last couple of seasons in terms of assists and, and even the underlying numbers under that. But um, he can be a bit limited at times. You know, he's maybe the sort of player that um, he profits a little bit from being in the Celtic system and getting so many opportunities to set things up for other people. I'm not wanting to talk down his qualities. Obviously, he does have qualities, but he has a real tendency at times to be wasteful, to, you know, kind of dribble into blind alleys, to, um, you know, shoot when maybe other things are on. So, you know, I I, I can understand maybe, um, and I, th- I think maybe Celtic fans might not have been too disappointed that Forrest is maybe, um, you know, not, not a starter. But again, I think all the confusion again comes in from uh, moving people about and we'll maybe come on to that and the kind of, you know, systems that Lennon is maybe unsure of between, um, but even in the kind of four-two-three-one that they started, you know, having Christie on the right um, then means that if Forrest is going to be in, he's on the left wing, is that kind of affecting how people are perceiving him because it's not his natural position? All these things, you know. So I guess we may as well just go straight into that then. So Celtic shape over the last couple of games, um, how do you feel that the changes they've made for this game in in particular, affected the the, the shape and and the sort of open half against them, the United. Um, well, I I think you know again it was the four two three one that they started with that they've started games with this season and they started the season overall last season with. Um, the the key factor here, I guess, was Cham being in. Um, and I think that means one of the things that I think in this setup Celtic maybe lack is a little bit of interplay in the wide areas. So positional rotation, for instance, between the fullbacks and the, the wide men um, and midfielders maybe going out there and kind of um, trying to get some interplay going on, trying to get people in behind um, the defence. And you, you would think that Cham could maybe try and give that to you. Um, the other thing that you would hope that maybe he gives is quicker switches of play um, from one side to the other, which you know is kind of key for Celtic if they're playing against a deep block because most of their chance creation comes from the fullbacks. So, you, you know, you need to try and get it to the, the one that's on the far side um, quickly. Um, beyond that, I guess the other thing you would say about this system is that you probably lose a little bit of ire um, bringing the ball out from defence, um, which would be the natural thing if he was at the back. Um, and I guess the other thing as well is that if you have El Yunusian as the left winger, um, he has a real tendency to kind of go into the same sort of space that Edward maybe wants to. And, you know, he maybe also has a tendency to um, not necessarily keep the ball. So, I mean, he, he wants to make things happen, which is a positive. So, you know, uh, you know, a lot of what he's going to do is going to be dribbles and, and with the goal of it ending in a shot for him or somebody else. But it maybe means that he can be a bit of a, a possession dead end at times. So that, that would be my take on the kind of system as it was. Yeah, that's, I think that's a pretty fair summary. And I guess just to keep it balanced for, for just now, the, the changes that um, are the starting lineup for Dundee United, we've seen Logan Chalmers and Lewis Nelson start, who are 
know, both really young kids. Nelson's only 17 and Chalmers is 20. Mm. We know that the Dundee United Academy um, has, you know, bared fruit for a, a number of years. What's your what's your take on, what does that say about uh, Mickey Mellon as a manager trusting, uh, you know, Lewis Nelson in a game of this magnitude, Logan Chalmers in a game of this magnitude, um, especially considering, you know, Nelson had, you know, had a couple of substitute appearances, but then to start against Celtic, do you think that's quite a, you know, a positive for for Dundee United? Yeah, I guess so, right? I mean, I must say that the manager has confidence in those individuals. He, he seems quite serious um, when you see him kind of, you know, give interviews and stuff. Um, I don't think he would do it as some sort of token gesture. Um, I also don't think, one of my concerns sometimes, I mean, obviously I'm pretty pro um, players getting a chance um, at young ages, but one of my concerns sometimes, obviously if people get overused, so for instance, Aaron Hickey, you know, similarly a 17-year-old fullback at the time, there were times at which, you know, Craig Levine was overusing him to the point that, you know, it was... um, child abuse almost um, but what, what I mean by that is that it's good to see that um, you know Mellon has confidence in these individuals I, I just you know would like it hopefully to turn into a kind of measured use of them um, uh, you know like you point out Nielsen only just turned 17 like two or three months ago um, but yeah it, it's a positive and I mean it must be a good signal to the rest of the academy that there's opportunities to have there um, that there is a kind of pathway to the first team in you know various positions um, and that Mellon will kind of give people a go if, if they impress um, on that note um, Chris Mochrie and Declan Glass played together in a friendly against Sheffield United today and it sounded like they linked up really well um, however, the game had to be abandoned midway due to um, bad weather, um, kind of midway through the match, which is a bit of a pity. But yeah, there's, there's, I guess, quite a lot of people who are potentially knock on the door um, for Dundee United minutes, um, even at pretty young ages, and it's encouraging that they're getting chances. Yeah, it's definitely exciting at Tannadice right now. As you mentioned, we've been fans of Mockery and Glass for a little while now, and hopefully we'll start to see them in and around the first team a bit more too. Um, but moving on to the game itself, uh, in the early exchanges, there was a couple of good chances for Edward when he came off, the, uh, hit the, a shot off the post. Um, there was a good breakaway for Dundee United where uh, I think it's Luke Bolton was unable to keep his shot down after Hark sort of just burst through the non-existent Celtic midfield. Um, and then we had Benjamin Seagrass make a, a number of, of you know really top-level saves how would you describe the first half action, Owen, and, and what were maybe the issues uh, where Celtic were unable to take advantage of the early dominance? Yeah, I think that um, maybe the chance for Edward is a good example of the type of chance that Celtic have um, sometimes lacked. So with what I was talking about in terms of uh, wide play, if you watch it particularly at throw-ins that Celtic have, um, if I was a team playing against Celtic, I would be quite confident in terms of trying to win the ball back at Celtic's own throw-ins. Often there's a real lack of movement uh, or like people rotating at all for the person that's taking the throw. Um, but Nietzsche makes a bit of a difference for that, particularly in wide areas. He will try and rotate with other players. He will try and make you know one twos and stuff, and that helped him get that chance there, which was a you know a type of chance that maybe they don't normally kind of make in those areas. Um, and I think the game could have been very different if that had gone in from Edward. He was obviously very unlucky. Um, beyond that, um, I think it was. A pretty frustrating first half for Celtic. Um, I don't. Yes, you're correct in saying that Seagreaves made a number of good saves, and I thought he um, deserves a lot of praise for that. But there weren't necessarily like killer chances for Celtic. 
you weren't seeing the sort of, you know, kind of cutbacks and stuff that they were maybe getting, you know, for instance, against Hamilton. They weren't necessarily able to get the, the fullbacks in behind um, the opposition fullbacks. So, you know, the, the, the quality of chance wasn't there. Um, and I think a lot of credit, you know, is deserved for Dundee United in terms of how they approach things to prevent that. What, what about you? Any thoughts for you on the, that kind of first half? Yeah, it just it just felt like Celtic were, you know, obviously they they had most of the possession, they had a number of attempts on goals, but it just did mm-hmm. feel a little bit like uh, from the setup. I th- I felt with Elianusi and Shaman Christie, I think that that was maybe my more point with Forrest. I think those three players in that area, mm-hmm. you're going to get similar sorts of output. Um, whereas okay. maybe with Forrest, you have something a little bit different. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, to come on to a wee bit of more detail, I think in terms of what Dundee United did, well, they, they had a pretty intense high press, which was really impressive to see them do that. Um, but they, they also stayed quite narrow and compact from the front. Um, so that gave quite a lot of space to Celtic's fullbacks. Um, and so Dundee United, I guess, were kind of trusting in their own fullbacks' ability to stop them, or maybe the fact that Celtic wouldn't manage to get the ball out to them quick enough to give them like a really good one-on-one opportunity. Um, and then beyond that, United also seemed to be trusting in their centre backs to be able to clear balls that came into the box. Um, they also managed to keep Edward quite isolated. You know, they were really tight into him when he had his back to goal. Um, they were being pretty physical. I think he was fouled quite a lot personally, and perhaps they were lucky to escape a booking kind of early for one of those kind of um, challenges. Um, but they did well to really frustrate him. I think for Celtic, I mean, obviously I'm not a tactician at all, but my thinking watching Celtic there is that they maybe needed to try and have the centre backs higher up the park so as to compress the game a wee bit more. It's obviously a risk because, you know, Celtic might be concerned about balls in behind them then. Um, and Julian and Beaton are, you know, they're, yeah. they're capable, but they're not entirely quick. Um, so it's a risk, right? But I think if you do it, if you compress the game that way, but still keep it wide, um, you get you get the opportunity to get the ball um, out to, you know, the people that are free, like your your wing-backs, um, Fringpong and... Uh, Taylor quicker. You also make the pressure feel a little bit more relentless for Dundee United. So, you know, you keep these waves coming of attacks rather than it being that they're able to get out and then it takes it long, you know, longer for you to build up to another attack. You also increase the chance of winning second balls um, because you, you squeeze the pitch and you're on top of them a wee bit more and, and you know, you try and get turnovers. And making chances through turnovers is a good way to get really high quality turn, you know, chances because you know the other team's not set. You potentially get a through ball in behind them. It's quite interesting for me. Um, this is obviously looking at very, very limited data so far. It doesn't include the, the Dundee United game, but when you look at the type of chance creation that Celtic are making this season, um, last season, um, in compared to comparison to this season, um, the last season they they made. of their total XG came from what are defined as turnover attacks, which are attacks that start in the opposition half and result in a shot within four or fewer passes. So last season, 9% of their total XG came that way. This season, after the games that they played up until when they faced Indy United, 0.6% of their total XG came that way. So, you know, it seems to have been a decline in terms of, you know, making chances that way. That's, of course, a very limited sample size. You know, you might not expect the chances to have to come that way, for instance, against Hamilton and so on. But 
um, it, it does say to me there's maybe something there, particularly because I went hunting for that stat because of how I was feeling watching it, that there wasn't that kind of um, same sort of pressing, that same sort of goal to get turnovers high up and make chances that way. Um, and I also think that another thing for Celtic in terms of having the centre-backs higher is you maybe eliminate some other people's uh, involvement in the build-up. So, for instance, you try and stop Scott Brown slowing down the build-up. He's got you know a very dominant personality, and he's right there. He's going to demand the ball off people a lot. Um, but you know he, he's he's you know it's another man behind the ball. Um, it, it removes another option ahead. He's a relatively slow, non-risky passer. You know he, he played about forty-five passes in this game against Dundee United, and he completed ninety-eight percent of them. So you know they're mainly kind of. Uh, yeah safe passes you know McGregor should really be the the main playmaker not saying he wasn't um but you know the the, the less that you have you know somebody else involved in the build-up the better maybe um and the other thing just to come back to I think is they need to switch the play quicker from one side to another uh, and have people combining with the fullback in wide areas so yeah that, that was my kind of take on issues in the first half yeah and else you want to touch for, for that or just quickly to I thought that the effort and uh, tactical discipline of Butcher, Harks, Pollitt in the centre was, was really impressive in what Dundee United yeah. I thought they all seemed like they clearly knew what they had to do and how to execute mm. the what looked like quite a, a clear game plan um, from, from those three in particular stood out to me. But let's move on to the the second half. And it felt like a bit of a repeat. We've seen some more uh, Seagrease saves. Um We've seen him pull off an outstanding save from Ryan Christie. Um, but overall, Christie seemed quite wasteful with his shots, and I think that's something that's been apparent for a number of games now. He seems to like to shoot from 25, 30 yards. How would you describe his performance in this game on? Um, mixed, I would say. So he, he took nine shots. Um, six of those were outside the box. So, I mean, I think it's fair to say that he probably in general needs to be a bit more selective. Um, he's probably been, I mean, I would imagine probably even Lennon is encouraging of him um, to shoot from distance. He's clearly a threat from distance. If we think back to, what was it, the St. Johnston game, the opener of last season, you know, so, he, you know, he has had some success, um, you know, and he scored some spectacular goals for Celtic and Scotland, but needs to be a bit more selective. I think when he's played on the right wing, it's even more likely that he's going to shoot because obviously he's cutting inside onto his left foot. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's not unfair to say he could be a bit more selective. Nine shots in a game for somebody that's you know not even a centre-forward is just ridiculous. However, in saying that, I, I went and rewatched all the shots and I'd say there's only two, maybe three, that I don't think he should have gone for it on. Um, I think in the reality of what the shots actually were, um, he, he was getting into a couple of good positions within the box. There were a couple of shots that were really quite decent opportunities. Um, there were a couple in the centre that, you know, there were ones where he kind of made it for himself. Um, and the ones outside the box, well, you know, the, the they were sort of within range. And, and I don't think... Overall, obviously, I would encourage people to be smart about where they shoot from. In the Scottish Premiership, if you're playing against a deep block, it's not a bad weapon to have in your arsenal. Um, so, yeah, in terms of shooting, um, mixed, right? Um, but effective, obviously, in the end, right? Given what the, the kind of a jetty goal came from. In terms of Christie overall um, in this game, um, I, I still don't think him being played on the right in that way is a, a optimal use of his skills. I think that his best role is probably more as like a 
a, a kind of pressing second forward in a four four two, something like that. Um, but whether that actually is useful against you know a, a relatively defensive setup like Dundee United, I, I don't know. You probably want somebody in there that's a better passer, you know, behind the forward. Um, there were some good moments for him when he was wide on the right. You know, he's got that energy, he's got that drive. Um, the other thing that stood out to me in this game is that um, he got the second most expected assist for Celtic. Um, so there was some chance creation in there as well from him. And also, yeah, having nine shots and being a bit wasteful um, makes you stand out. It, it leads to fair criticism. But I would say that he was way more involved in a threat generally and a more useful player in this game than, for instance, El Yunusi. Um, so, you know, I, I think you've got to weigh these things up. You know, there's a, a risk with being wasteful and standing out for being wasteful. But is it worse than not doing much at all? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's some pretty fair provocation. Um, I actually felt that way about El Yunusi for large parts of last season as well before he got uh, injured. But... Anyway, um, let's keep the ball rolling and Celtic eventually okay. got, got the, the ball in the back of the net with uh, Alba Najetti on his debut, uh, scoring a goal. It must have obviously broke Dundee United hearts. As at that point, you know, 83 minutes on the clock, looked like they were they were maybe going to you know sneak a point from this. Um, would you say there was an element of luck with it going through the legs and the deflection? Or do you think these are potentially, you know, I'm going to ask you to be a, a sports psychologist right now, but potentially... <laughs> mental errors from being under siege for so long, do you think that, you know, that continuous threat from Celtic, you know, eventually that's going to take its toll? Uh, it can't help, right? It's got to be a little bit exhausting, but I'm not sure I'd classify it as a mental error. I, I think there's little you can do as the kind of last-ditch defender in those circumstances. You're just kind of predicting, diving, you know, guessing, and yeah, you know, it's, it's unlucky. And then things stick out if it goes through your legs, but going through your legs probably indicates that you almost got it right. It's probably better in that way than, you know, it being somewhere, you know, where your head was and, and you're not, you know, having got the guess right at all. Um, I, I think that in terms of this goal, you're absolutely right. It's probably, um, you know, uh, there was relentless kind of pressure. Um, I think Seagreese could have done a bit better with a shot. Um, he was really good throughout. Um, but the thing I was thinking when I watched things back was, you know, a couple of other occasions, when he was saving it, he did brilliantly to save it, but maybe in terms of where he was palming it out to, um, wasn't quite brilliant. Like, for instance, I'm thinking of the one that Edward had in the box on the left side yeah. where he checked back onto his right foot. You know, it, it's tough for Seagreese. Obviously, it's a very good save to be able to even stop it, but for that one, back into the danger zone slightly as well. Um, and this one, yeah, you just got to get a stronger hand on that, right, and get it out um, for a corner or, or further away um, down the, the byline. The other thing that stood out to me, though, about this goal was the numbers that Celtic had in the box. So not just about the relentless kind of pressure, um, and maybe this, you know, is is something that they would point to in terms of the the factor of both throwing a jetty on, but also the change in system. So they changed from the four two three one to the three five two, and maybe having three five two, the benefit of that might be that because you have the security of three at the back you can maybe um, gamble more and stick more people in the box. Um, so when Christie shot, there were five Celtic players in the penalty area um, and he was obviously shooting from outside the box and obviously that um, increases your opportunities of getting onto the, the rebound. Um, so that that's the other thing I would take away from this, um, that you know Celtic gambled and put more people in the box and maybe it's the system that helps you do that with a 3-5-2. Um, you know. I guess that, that's going to lead me on to two questions. The first one is going to be, 
uh, on the overall piece, do you think that Dundee United maybe deserved something at this game from the way that they mm-hmm. set up, from the you know the effort and energy they put into the game? Even so, Celtic obviously had far superior chances. Do you think that there was maybe a merit to Dundee United getting at least a point from this? Um, I think that's a fair question. I, I was, uh, I felt for Dundee United at the end of this game. You certainly, you know, could see how much they put into it. And as we touched on, there were some really good elements. So, you know, we, we've spoken about the intense kind of press that they had at the front. And I think that was effective. You know, they were smart about it. They clearly um, tried to funnel the trap so that um, Julian got the ball. Um, and then they put him under pressure when he was passing. As an example of that, he only completed 52% of his forward passes. Um, the slight kind of caveat to that is obviously when you're going forward, you're taking a bit more risk, and sometimes those were quite long passes towards the fullbacks, and, and maybe it was their fault that they didn't stop them. There, were, there was a couple of issues for Frimpong technically in this game. Um, but anyway, uh, he also, Julian, passed it back to Barkas and goal seven times in this game. He only completed more passes to one other individual, which was near Breton, his, his partner at centre-back. So what I'm saying there is that United kept the press up well throughout the game. They stayed compact through the middle to try and prevent it being passed through quite well at times. Um, and, you know, I think their full-backs, as we said, did quite well when the ball was out with, uh, you know, Frimpong and Taylor to not get beat down the line generally. And they also, the other positive for United was that they broke well through the middle too. Um, so uh, Brown and McGregor were fairly positionally poor at times when the ball was turned over. Um, Celtic really kind of lack that kind of central anchoring presence that you might expect from the defensive midfielder like Brown. He's, you know, too much drawn towards the ball or, or obviously his, his role, you know, his mindset is to be that aggressive ball winner. But I, I do think, you know, particularly when the fullbacks are so high up, he maybe needs to be more of an anchor. And then he was getting bypassed really quite easily in one-to-ones, you know, a, a real kind of lack of just the right instinct or athleticism showing. So Dundee United did really well to exploit that. Um, but in terms of whether they actually deserve something out of the game, well, when you look at the detail, um, Celtic took 20 shots. Um, the XG was 1.88 versus 0.41. Um, so I think that given the frustrations that Celtic had in terms of the game, you know, the number of long shots and things like that, and given that that showed up some issues um, and it followed on the heels of the Kilmarnock game where they were very poor, it should probably be a worry. And that maybe thinks that people would think that Dundee United deserve something from it. But I think over the course of the season, this is kind of the sort of away win that is probably fine and probably Celtic, you know, deserve to win it really. Yeah, I think that's some pretty fair analysis again there. Let's let's move on to a point you sort of touched on there. So Celtic seem to be sort of, I don't know how to describe it, maybe stuttering, stumbling through games. They've obviously had the disruption. Um, but do you think they're maybe suffering from too much change? You know, they've they've had the the formation change, but not just the, you know, finishing the season on 3-5-2, going to the 4-2-3-1, but even the change in the yeah. 4-2-3-1 isn't the same as, you know, how it maybe started last season. Um there's been a number of personnel changes. Do you think that there's maybe an element of too much tinkering going on at Celtic? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that Lennon needs to nail a choice um, between four two three one and three five two, but also he needs to nail the issues with whichever one he picks. So you know, pick a system, but then work out the kinks in it as well. And and for instance, what I mean by that is that. It's all very well for people to just say, well, switch to a 3-5-2 because then you get a jetty in and it maybe takes defenders away from Edward. 
but there's the knock-on effect of having that you know that formation would that then slow up the build-up even more with you know potentially three centre-backs plus Brown and McGregor behind the, the ball would it still leave them open to counter-attacks through the middle um potentially because you know we probably still have those same you know midfield elements but does it also compound that by opening up more space in the flanks behind the win-backs? Um, you know, and obviously Fringpong has brilliant recovery speeds, but Julien doesn't necessarily want to be pulled out to the flank. Um, does it, if you switch to the 3-5-2, does it just lead to more attempts to create chances through crosses? And is there still not enough wide interplay to kind of create the sort of cutbacks that you'd want against a team that can uh, defend well in, in a, a kind of compact block? So, yeah, um, probably a bit too much indecision um, around what they're going to do. I think he does make need to make a choice, but not just make a choice. You know, deal with the issues that are still evident in whichever system he, he goes with. What about you? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I think again, that's some really fair analysis. I think we've we've seen you know changes within the within the shape. We've seen changes within the personnel. We've seen changes within the you know the roles of the players within. Uh, the the system so there's just too much going on for me and I, I think sometimes there's a little bit of a reliance on individual brilliance um, rather than the system actually doing what it's supposed to do um, maybe but, yeah in but, saying all that I guess the, the kind of caveat is if they win their two games in hand they're joint top of the league of course they won their last European qualifier 6-0 um, and they've got the opportunity this week to you know go through in a one-off game at home against Ferenc Varos so yeah, yeah. Um, issues potentially, but still doing pretty good. Yep, yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Let's uh, you know hope they can send the coefficient gravy uh, tomorrow uh, when they take on Fern Cabros. And yeah, I think you know the one one off game should hopefully suit them at home. Um, any quick thoughts on that before we finish up? Um, well, I did a week kind of interview with a Hungarian site. Um, so if anybody's kind of want to know my um, thoughts on Celtic in relation to their European game, uh, you can search that out. If you look for a website uh, called bonteto.com, B-U-N-T-E-T-O.com, um, I guess they'll, they'll share it on Twitter tomorrow. Um, yeah, get your Hungarian dictionaries ready and have a read of that. It's all about you know, my take on... Celtic uh, from a, a European qualifier um, view. But yeah, that, that's everything I want to say about them. Yep. Popular in Budapest. Um, mm. So let's move on then from uh, from the league action to the international news with the Scotland squad announced today, uh, which seen Robbie McCrory uh, called in for his uh, debut squad. First of all, uh, let's just get, a, we'll talk about Dykes as well, but on McCrory, um, he was called up over the likes of Liam Kelly, Craig McGilvery, who had been in recent squads. What's your thoughts on that one, Owen? Um, I think generally I'd want a younger goalkeeper in as the third choice in the squad, um, always, unless we had kind of three that were especially great, that were peak age or older. Um, I think McCrory's getting kind of mixed reviews at Livingston so far this season. Um, I had a wee glance at the data and it looks like he maybe is letting one or two more than the kind of expected goals model would suggest he should have. But I think I'm, I'm going to have a, a little bit of a, a longer wait and, and kind of look at that properly after a couple more games. Um Kelly wasn't really playing for QPR towards the end of the season, right? He was on the bench. Yep. Um, I'm not entirely sold about McGilvery. I think I would rather build up McCrory as being a long-term option. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm fairly okay with that. What about you? 
Yeah, I think it's the sort of thing that we've been saying on the pod for a while um, about having yeah. a bit of succession plan. So it's good that Steve Clark's obviously a regular listener um, and taking on board the, you know, the invaluable advice from this podcast. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's it's what we want to see, right? Um, we want to see some succession planning. We want to see that you know uh, a player playing regularly domestically is getting the opportunity ahead of someone who's just down south, not you know playing so yep that definitely ticks a box for me um but i guess moving on to the bigger one i guess uh, is the news that lyndon dykes has um opted to play for scotland he's been called up to the, the squad we've been talking about this for a, a long time oh what do you think he'll bring to the scotland squad uh well i'm, I'm happy he's been given a call up and has accepted it I, I think um in terms of what he'll bring to the squad i think he would suit clark quite well uh, in terms of the kind of type of player he is um, I think he'll maybe give us, you know, kind of some pressing from the front. Um, I guess the positive for him as well is that, you know, from our viewpoint, he's quite a good kind of facilitator in terms of being an outball and kind of linking people. Um, but the risk then is that that's maybe quite similar to McBurney in a way. Um, and uh, maybe the expectation from fans is that we really need a goal scorer. And the reality for me of this team is that they don't make a lot of chances. So both, it's two ways to think about it, I guess. It's good having more people in the squad who can help with that. And maybe, you know, Dykes can be a kind of facilitator and help us create more chances. But if if Clark is maybe going to stick to a one kind of forward up front system, um, then I would kind of have similar worries for Dykes as I maybe would for McBurney. You might think it might be better to be starting somebody like Shankland who's maybe best equipped to take what few chances we get. So I just hope, again, maybe similarly to McBurney, um, that people give um, Dykes a chance, even if he doesn't score. I think he risks a a far kind of lower valuation, um, but the same sort of risk for um, McBurney, that people are, Scottish people are kind of shocked at the amount of money that have been paid for both of these people. Um, And maybe as a result of that, they, you know, kind of, expect a lot but also maybe there's the kind of tribal element to it and that you know if somebody who's maybe a Hibs fan um, sees Dykes going for two million pounds and then Boyce doesn't get in the world squad you know people get you know energized by that and a kind of tribal level and and I think we really need to ideally be behind our players when they play for Scotland and be understanding about what people's skill sets are and also what is possible in this team um so yeah I, I sound really cautious don't I um <laughs> What I'm basically saying is maybe don't expect him to be the guy that's going to drag us to the World Cup with loads and loads of goals. But I'm pleased he's in the squad. He'll be a good addition. He does good things. Let me me remove all that caution and hype it right up. Um, So Lyndon Dykes, for me, is someone I think is suited to international football. I think we've seen the best of him for Livingston in games that were high intensity, where Livingston were maybe um, not expected to have a lot of the ball, he does a lot of the hard running, he's able to, as you mentioned, facilitate play, bring people into the game, hold the ball up, he'll he'll push you know, centre-backs into wider areas with his movement, creating space. Mm. Uh, I think he li- likes the physical um, battles, he's the sort of player, I think with McBurney, there's been a few times where people have said he doesn't necessarily look like he wants to be involved physically, whereas I think Dykes is happy to have those sort of you know, mm. elbows in that sort of rough and tumble element of it, which I think mm. for fans sometimes it's easier to get behind someone who is involved yeah. in that sort of thing. So, sure, um, 
for me, I think for how Clark's going to likely set up, I think Dykes is actually someone that could bring a lot to the squad and could actually benefit um, mm. the, the, the first team just by having his skill set. I think it's it's kind of what we need. Yes, we don't mm. have a, a natural goal scorer, but if we can't connect the play, then you know having someone that can just put the ball in the, the back of the net isn't really mm-hmm. that uh, meaningful. So for me, Dykes is, is uh, it's a good player for us to have. We're not blessed with attacking options. So for me, it ticks a whole lot of boxes. Oh, would you be interested in, or would you be worried if Dykes was to start up front against Israel? Um, I don't think I would start him. I think, again, if it's a one-striker system, then McBurney and Shankland are both ahead of him for me at the moment. Um, but I think you make a fair point there about what you bring to the table um, and about how you can endear the fans to him. I have pictures in my mind now of him and Declan Gallagher swimming <laughs> <in the> corner <laughs> in, in some sort of way to endear themselves to the fans. Um, but yeah, I, I, look, I'm, I'm going to be okay with whatever choice Clark's make, making, really, I think. I think my main kind of uh, concern is the playoff game when we get to that against Israel. I'm seeing these two games against Israel in the Czech Republic and the Nations League as sort of, you know, free hits for Clark to work out who he wants to start and what his system is. So if he goes with Ike to see how he gets on, that's fine with me. I'd be pretty happy. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's pretty fair uh, to say. Um, just before we finish up, then, was there any other players that you felt maybe you would have liked to have seen included in the squad, or surprised that anyone in particular has missed out? Um, I'm pretty happy with this squad overall, um, given the options. There's some obvious deficiencies, I think, uh, maybe up front, maybe a little bit of a lack of faith generally um, in what centre-backs we have. Um, but yeah, the, the main issue for me, I guess, when, I, when I'm looking at a squad, maybe I'm thinking not you know, just who's the guy I like that's not in there, but I'm thinking, what's the issue with this squad? What are we missing? Right. So there's obviously a lack of goals generally, um, but I think there's a big lack of pace overall, and particularly in wide areas. So I might well have been open to another winger, but then I'm thinking, who? Right. So you know, I, I don't know. Do you, do you have a? If you were going to call up a winger, um, is there somebody you would be thinking of? Pace in a wide area. The only ones, the obvious one is Ryan Fraser, right? But he obviously had his issues yeah. with Bournemouth, uh, where his sort of game mm-hmm. time got limited towards the end. There's not any other real standouts, but if you're looking for that unique skill set, then Fraser's the one for me. Uh, I can't really think so of I, too I think- many other. I mean, given this is the build-up to the playoff, I, I would probably have, even with Fraser's lack of game time, I would have had him in. Um, you know, that, that would have been the one for me. The other thing I was thinking was I might have been tempted to maybe bump David Turnbull up a level, um, maybe at the expense of somebody like Kenny McLean, um, just to get Turnbull a bit of experience. But also I think he's got a more aggressive range of passing, um, which we could maybe benefit from. And he can obviously also be a goal threat. Um, I think the risk, obviously, is that um, between him and Ryan Christie, we might kind of enter the realms of uh, taking more shots than we're on Harry Maguire's barbell and picking <laughs> off. Um, but, you know, it's obviously good to have that goal threat from different areas. And I just think he would have given us something different. Um, so that that might be a one that I would have perhaps looked at, you know, doing differently. Um, but I can appreciate why, you know, obviously Clark wants to stick with people who are experienced. He's got those kind of, you know, he's got the, the playoff to think about. You never know what other midfielder is going to, you know, drop out. And if you, you know, maybe leave somebody like McLean out, 
but then you have to replace somebody else. Does then McLean want a call up if he's been bumped at the expense of Turnbull? You know, you've got to think yeah. about how you manage these things. Um, but yeah, that's for me. What about you? Is there somebody glaring that you think should have been in there? Is this going to be more Michael Rose propaganda coming up or Liam Lindsay? Michael the... Rose propaganda in your ears right now. Uh, <laughs> I, th- I think Rose has, you know, had an excellent season with Coventry. But for me, for a lot of Scottish people, I don't think a, a lot has have actually seen him play. Um, obviously, fans are very united, and some championship teams would have seen that. But I think that a lot of people just look at you know he's playing it you know for Coventry, who are they sort of type. But he's actually mm. really good at progressing the ball. Um, he's someone that I think he looks assured when he's got the ball at his feet, and I think that's something that, you know um, with him and Cooper, I just felt like that could have potentially been a nice partnership. Um, just mm. people that are comfortable taking the ball. Um, that was something for me because I feel like at times we maybe we, we struggle to get past that first sort of press or first sort of uh, effort and if we've got people that can step forward with it then I think that relieves some of that pressure and then you can start to utilise McGregor a lot more than he has been um, Absolutely, anything avoids going back to Marshall and then being pumped up into uh, the corners of the pitch for poor Dykes to be chasing <laughs> That's exactly it but apart from that, there's not really anyone else. I think uh, that's the only one for me. But it feels I I actually feel very optimistic about the squad. I've seen a few people sort of, you know, uh, unhappy with it. But I feel like there's a lot of talented players in there that you know you've got Robertson, Tierney, McTominay, McGinn, all playing at an incredibly high level, right? So let's let's get behind the players in these games and and hopefully we can see uh, some positive steps under Steve Clark. Agreed. So I guess what that's taken us to the end of today's podcast. If you've enjoyed it, then please like, share, review, do all that good stuff as it really helps us grow the podcast. And if you ever fancy chatting football with us, then you can get us on Twitter at PureFitBar. And Owen, where can they get you? Uh, At Owen James Brown on Twitter. Nice one. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. That'll make skin bubble, more wet we guzzle Chris Lighty lit me in a few times with nines That's on God, wish you would've walked by It bumped me harder just Looked at me wrong, my chain on Try to book me, you gone Goons, Italian leathers Couple bottles of Dom Took risks Say what you want, there's rules to this Don't get it misconstrued My suit game was crisp Silk, linen, chiffon Dior to Diodora But I rock custom more The hustler aura, tap in Razor cutter, 90s, 80s lover Raised in gutters, raised above it They made it about the hood subject I made you love it Crazy, I knew this chick She had a blue Benz, a jersey pin out She used to pimp girls that would turn rich men out Her coke habits was so savage She hear voices and see ghosts on the average Of a stepdad, he raised her from a carriage She was 12 when he passed She's been in hell since that Her grandma raised her I met her in Kingston, Jamaica Where veteran kingpins bought acres Rest in peace, Louis Rankin Original Don Dada